Well, we are continuing in our preaching series called uh, Life Lessons from the Bible. And we're looking at different characters from the scriptures and kind of seeing how their story fits into God's bigger story of his redemptive plan. But, but even more so, we're, we're looking at these different characters and we're kind of listening. We want to listen to what God has to say to us and to inform our own lives out of their lives of faith. So um, today I want to begin with a question. I wonder if you could write your own epitaph, what would it say? You know, like the words that go on your, your tombstone. If you could write your own epitaph, what, what would it say? What would you want to be on there, right? Uh, Frank Sinatra on his says, the best is yet to come. Kind of like, kind of like that, right? Um, and Joe DiMaggio, the, the great baseball player, said, "Grace, dignity, and elegance personified." Thought that was a good one, as well. I, I don't know. Would you want it to say something like, "This guy was honorable," or, "Or this this woman, she changed lives"? What would you want your epitaph to say? What would you want to be remembered as? Well, today. Like, um, like Eduardo said, we're, we're learning lessons from the life of Stephen. And if you don't know yet, Stephen was an early Christian martyr. He gave his life for the faith. And this is how he is described in the Bible. This is how he is remembered, that he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I guess in a way we could say that was his epitaph, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, with all of that in mind, you might think, well, pastor, how are we going to apply this to our lives today? Because most likely, I'm not going to be stoned out there. I'm not under any threat, even though the world has changed a lot. Probably none of us are under any threat to be stoned. So what, is, what do I have to learn from, from Stephen, right? What's the relevance? We, we, could, we could discount this, this message today because of, because of that, right? Even, even just persecuted. We're not probably likely to be persecuted in any way like, like this today. But, but actually, the amazing thing about Stephen, and I think something we, we can take with us today, is, is, is this very thing. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And for Stephen, that was, that was the preparation that he needed to face whatever difficulties he faced in life. And certainly, every single one of us will face challenges and will face difficulties in life. So like Stephen, might we be a people who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit to be prepared for whatever life will throw our way. Now, one of the one of the most obvious and most challenging messages from Stephen's life is this, is that discipleship is a call to die. Discipleship is a call to die. I've heard it, I've heard it said this way before, that the best missionary is a dead missionary. Right. I know that doesn't sound right, does it? Except the way, the way it was 
told to me was like the best missionary is a dead missionary in, in the sense that that missionary is dead to self and alive in Christ. To go, to, sent, to be sent, to go to serve, we must be dead to self and alive in Christ. <clears throat> That's probably a whole nother sermon right there. So we won't, we won't go all the way down that, that today. But um, we're looking at Stephen today. We're looking at what it meant for Stephen to be full of the Holy Spirit, what that means for us. Um, and we're going to look at what, what about his life was most meaningful and most, most dramatic. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll be working from Acts 6 and Acts 7 today in the life of Stephen. Find out what's going on with him. So we'll start in Acts 6, chapter 1. Uh, before, before we do that, let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together as a family of faith to spend time at worshiping you or at your feet, singing your praises, coming under your word to learn from you and grow from you. We pray today, I pray today that, that we would find meaning in the life of Stephen and that that would inform and grow our own life of faith. And Father God, I pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable and be pleasing in your sight. For indeed, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. So chapter 6, verse 1 of Acts. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the, the daily distribution of food. So the 12, like the 12 apostles, they gathered all of the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and full of wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we and and we will give our attention then to to prayer and to the ministry of the word and so this proposal please please the whole group and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit also Philip and a number of others and they presented these men to the disciples and they they prayed and they laid hands on them and so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. So this is our introduction to Stephen. This is how Stephen comes onto the scene. There is a need. The apostles, they are trying to teach God's word daily in the temple, but at the same time, they've got that responsibility, that charge. At the same time, there is a need. Um, there, there, is, there, there is a demand that justice be done, that widows be taken care of. And so they have a, a food bank. You know, we talk, we've got a food bank here, right? They, they had a food bank and they had a food distribution program to the widows. And so they can't do it all, the apostles, and they need to delegate this food ministry to, to another group of people. And so Stephen is one of those. They understand that Stephen is uh, well-respected in the community, and they determine that he can help with this food distribution ministry to the widows. And so basically, basically Stephen becomes a waiter. Stephen becomes 
a waiter serving food in, in a manner of speaking. Now, now, as we come to a message about a guy like Stephen, I, I think it is, it is sometimes hard for us to feel like we can relate. I already, already mentioned that. But, um, you know, if you feel like, if you feel like, you know, I just don't know if I can relate to this guy. I mean, he was a martyr. He was so faithful, so full of the Holy Spirit, you know, but maybe you feel like, well, my life is, you know, I love Jesus, but my life is pretty ordinary. I just do like a normal job. I just have normal stuff I do. My, my life is pretty mundane, seemingly in comparison. Well, I, I, w- I would just say this, like, you can relate to this message, right? Because, I mean, Stephen... Stephen served food, right? This was like a normal, ordinary, rather mundane thing to do. He's in charge of the, the food bank ministry, right? He served food. And so this is a message today for, for anyone who feels like, you know, sometimes my life is just rather mundane, rather normal, right? There's nothing like really extraordinary going on in my life. I'm just keeping up with the stuff that's got to happen. Like, you know, like moms and dads taking care of kids, you know, people who maybe work in administration, in an office building, people who work in manufacturing, people who are employed perhaps part-time in, in retail industries. You know, you just feel like it's just got a normal, kind of a normal job, a, a pretty mundane life. Well, anyone who has encountered God, who feels passionate about the gospel, but, but the majority of, of their life is just kind of spent doing normal life stuff, right? Working your job, paying your bills, taking care of your family, um, but, but it's not necessarily these amazing, amazing things you're out there doing all the time. Well, well, I, I think if that, is, if that is you, then that is who God is speaking to today, right? Because even in those ordinary environments, if, if like Stephen, you have the spirit in you, or, or to put it in another way, if like Stephen, you are passionate about the gospel, then then in you, heaven has a ticket to earth. In our ordinary lives, when we love Jesus and are passionate about his gospel, heaven has a ticket to earth. Now, we usually say that the opposite way, right? Say like, like um, in our salvation, in our relationship with Jesus, you know, we say, we kind of, you know, say, well, I prayed a prayer. I said these words. I trusted Jesus. I became a Christian. And, and what did you get? You got a ticket to heaven, right? You got a ticket to heaven. I mean, that's so cool, right? That's a wonderful thing. But, but I think we also want to be passionate about in, in our lives and God working through our lives that, that heaven gets a ticket to earth, like that it goes both ways, if you will. Now, one lesson that I think we can learn from Stephen's life is this, is that Stephen spent time pursuing God's presence. He spent, t- he spent time pursuing God's presence, and because of that, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was filled with wisdom, and he was therefore ready for every circumstance. He was ready for every circumstance that, that he faced. And, and so what happens then to Stephen? We'll continue in the scripture, starting in verse 8. Says Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So, pretty, pretty good feeding ministry going on there. However, opposition arose. 
members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, they began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom of the spirit as he spoke. And then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law against Stephen. Now, now in, in that time, in that religious context, you just didn't do that. You didn't, you didn't blaspheme Moses or God or speak against the temple. These, these were kind of no-nos in, in that religious context. These were very important. These were very important to Jewish religious folk at the time. Now, Stephen didn't go there, but they lied. They lied. They got false witnesses to say, Stephen is saying these things. So we'll continue on. So they seized Stephen. They arrested him. They brought him before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, and change the customs that Moses handed down to us and all who were sitting in the the Sanhedrin. They looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? So you've got this group of people. They're called the the synagogue of freedmen. Now you get this idea that this is a really religious group of people. Synagogue of freedmen. Sort of a nice name there. Like a really faithful group. But actually, this group, this was, this was a group of Jewish converts and they were very, very, they were very, very religiously liberal to the point that pagans at that time thought of them as being kind of wicked, like kind of pretty, pretty out there, so out there religiously that even the pagans thought they were messed up. And, and they boasted that they had freedom from all moral laws. And Stephen had to argue against them and he needed wisdom and he had the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to argue against this group, the synagogue of, of freedmen. This group, they, they, they had an excuse uh, or they wanted an excuse to satisfy every desire of the flesh while at the same time seeming um, like they ascribed to a belief in God. So you could say they had too much to live for, as it were. They, they really loved things of the world. They developed, and so they developed this theology around, around the different things that they wanted to have and that they wanted to do, while at the same time kind of keeping God in a box there, right? Saying the, the right things about God while sort of doing whatever they wanted to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like, I mean, it sounds like a lot of stuff today, honestly. Sounds like a lot of people, a lot of things out there today. So some things haven't changed much in 2,000 years. 
that, that we want God. We want God. We say we want God. But at the same time, we, we kind of want to do whatever we want to do, right? We want to have license to do whatever we want to do. We don't want anybody to tell us not to. Um, and, and, and I guess to make that kind of personal, you know, I would say there's a lot of things that I want to do. There's a lot of things that I want to have. And I mean, they're not, they're not bad necessarily, but there's a lot of things in this world that capture my attention, that capture my heart, that capture my desires. And, and you know, much of it is fine and great. God probably says, cool, you know, go for it to, to many things like that. But, but, but I guess what I would say is when I come to this passage, if I'm very honest about how I see this passage, I find myself having a lot to live for in this world. A lot that I love in this world. Maybe, maybe too much, right? Maybe too much of my heart is for this world. <clears throat> I read a biography. Um, it was a biography of James Hudson Taylor. Y'all heard of him? He died in 1905, so it's been a while since he'd been around. James Hudson Taylor, he was a British Protestant, Christian, missionary to China. And he served as a missionary in China for, I think, 51 years, I believe it was. 51, long, long time, right? He served in China for, for a long time. And, and he lived a life that was inspiring. And his faith and his Christian service, it's inspiring. It's worth, it's worth reading about. And, and, and lives like Stevens, who we're looking at today from Acts, and lives like James Hudson Taylor's, I mean, they are a reminder to me, maybe to you as well, they're a reminder to us that ultimately, in Christ, I am dead. I've died to this world when I'm in Christ. I've died to this world in my baptism, remember like the only good missionary is a, a dead missionary, you know, dead, dead to self, dead to this world, alive in Christ. And so Stephen and James Hudson Taylor, they remind me of that truth. Um, and because of that, we, we see in lives like Stephen and in lives like James Hudson Taylor that, that because of, of, of how alive they were in Christ, that they were living heaven's agenda. That was their focus. There's a lot of agendas in the world. There's a lot we can get real focused on in the world, but they were living heaven's agenda. That's what I see in Stephen. That's what I see in James Hudson Taylor. That's what I would like to see more of in me. So for Stephen, Stephen was dead to self. He was living heaven's agenda. And so when it came to, when it came to his death, I mean, I know this sounds somewhat absolute in the way I'm saying it, but when it came to his death, he didn't have anything to lose, if you will. He was dead to this world and alive in Christ. I want to read a, a description. It's from James Hudson Taylor. It's about a time he was suffering some afflictions these things, difficult things that were happening to him. And, and he was actually ref, kind of reflecting on death. And he said this, 
He said, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord, free from sin, this is the end of the worst that man's malice can ever bring against us. The worst that anybody can ever bring against us is that we'll be absent from the body, present with the Lord, and free from sin. That's a life lived on heaven's agenda. And and honestly, y'all, I mean, I find that incredibly challenging because I've developed, I've developed a lot to live for. And so dying becomes a little more challenging. I imagine, I imagine maybe, maybe all of us, maybe all of us would find that kind of challenging in the world today. So Stephen, Stephen had to be pretty, he had to be pretty passionate about his values, about heaven's agenda coming first in his life. Uh, another thing about Stephen that we see is that one of, the, one of the most important messages, or maybe the most important message of Stephen's life what was this sermon that he preached to, to this Jewish council, this religious council that he, that he was being questioned by. So these religious leaders, they brought him before them. They were hearing witnesses who were false witnesses. They were hearing, um, they wanted to hear his response. And so he preaches. Stephen had a sermon. Now, I don't imagine that he just kind of had a sermon in his pocket, you know, been saving this to pull out. But, but we know that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and that he was full of wisdom. And because of that, when, when things got pretty tight, Stephen was ready to preach. He had something to say. And so he preaches. And ironically, ironically, it, it was the, the preachers of the word who got Stephen involved in this thing to start with, right? Remember that? Preacher of the word, we don't have time for the food distribution ministry. So you do it, Stephen. And now here we find Stephen preaching, <laughs> right? I don't know. It's kind of an interesting twist on this here. And I think one thing it tells us is that when we get involved in serving, when we get involved in giving of ourselves, giving ourselves away in ministry, that God's going to give us an opportunity to share his word. So Stephen's gotten involved in ministry. He's gotten involved in this this justice program of food distribution to the widows, and now God's given him an opportunity to share the word. So he preaches. Stephen preaches, and um, he's before this high high council. He's been accused of blasphemy against Moses, God, and the temple. And in his defense, he preaches. And in his sermon, I'm not going to read the sermon, it's from, it's from chapter 7, verse 2 through verse 50. If you want to read it all, it's, it's right there. But I'm just going to summarize a few themes that were in it. In his sermon, he, he tries to reestablish some common ground that he would have, some things that he would be in agreement on with, with these religious authorities, sort of their, share, their shared religious history, the, the shared history of, of, of their common people. And so, you know, he's kind of saying, I'm not against that. Like, we're, we're together. We're together on that. But that there are some things, there are some things that have changed because of Jesus. So, so Stephen preaches. He goes through this, this whole, whole history, kind of salvation history, starting with, with Abraham. And we don't, have, we don't have time to, you know, go in depth into all of that today. But he kind of sets the patriarchs into the context 
of the places where they lived and, and how many of the places that they lived were, were territories and lands that were not their own. They were, like, they were like strangers in a strange land for much of this shared history, yet, yet even so, God met them. They encountered God even in these foreign places, these different places. And, and his point was that God's not limited Encounters with God are not just limited to this one place with like four walls, but that God met his people in all kinds of places throughout their shared history. Um, and, and so, you know, I think, I think what Stephen's telling us about is like, you know, maybe the question we would have is like, where do we encounter God? Where, where does heaven encounter earth for us, for our church, for, for our lives of faith? Because that's what Stephen's talking about here. And just kind of to go, you know, just a couple of little uh, bullet points from, from his sermon about where heaven meets earth, where God encountered earth. You know, he, he talks about Abraham, that, that God called him. He was still in Mesopotamia at the time, and God calls him to leave Haran, and God encounters him there. Um, he tells Abraham, your, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. God still encounters them there. Um, he talks about Joseph being sold into slavery in Egypt. And then, of course, we know, you know how eventually that was to save many people. And then God's people ended up in Egypt. That was a country not their own, yet God was with them there as well. And it kind of goes on and on. A lot of examples describes God's people who these religious leaders at the time, they would have, they would have known these people. They would have understood these people. They would have respected these people and this common heritage they had. So he's describing this connection um, and that he agreed with them. He was in agreement with the religious leaders about, about all of this, except when it came to that important place. When it came to the, the temple, Stephen said that that was not the only place where heaven could meet earth, where we could encounter God. And, and, um, and so he describes all these different places, all these, the journey of God's people, and then, and how God met his people in all these different places. But then he talks about in Jesus, how God now meets his people, not only in the temple, but he meets them in their heart through Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's the message that Stephen was trying to give in his defense before the religious authorities. But it may not be a surprise to you, but that message, it, did, it was not received really well, okay? So I'll pick up the story in verse 51. This is chapter 7, verse 51. Stephen does, you know, I think he really does a commendable job of sharing the story of, of their, their common heritage and he does that, but then he just sort of gets fed up. We get to verse 51. He's tried to do this, you know, the nice way. And then he, he finally just kind of breaks, you know, he starts, he starts fussing at them because they're so stubborn. And he says in verse 51, he calls them, you stiff necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. I kind of get this contrast here. They're resi- he says, you resist the Holy Spirit. And then the, the text tells us that Stephen was full of the Holy, a man full of the Holy Spirit. 
Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received a law that was given through angels, you've not obeyed it. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He had this vision. He saw these things. And so this is something like powerful about being filled with the Holy Spirit in times of crisis. This is the point where heaven meets earth. And that's what Stephen is going through now. You know, he's not in the temple when this is taking place, but he has this vision of heaven. He sees, he sees the Father and the Son and the Spirit. He has, he has this vision of the presence of God right there, right there in, among the council. And then in verse 56, he says, look, he says, look, I see heaven open. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And, and at this, they really didn't like that. At this, they covered their ears, covered their ears, and they started yelling at the top of their voice, and they all rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's a whole nother story right there. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. He prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's Bible language, fall asleep, Bible language, or he died, right? So Stephen's being stoned. People are taking his life. He has preached to them. He has responded to them. These false accusations, he's responded to them with the truth. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's delivered this important message, this sermon. And now, well, what's he get for that? He's getting stoned. He's getting stoned now. And then um, heaven opens. He gets this vision of who God is, heaven opens for Stephen. It's like, it's like the mist, like the fog is lifted and he, and he can see clearly, clearer than ever. Even in this moment of, of darkness for Stephen, he can see clearly. Even in this harsh and cruel moment, in the midst of it, he sees clearly heaven on earth. Heaven is open. He has this heaven meet earth encounter right there. And what amazes me about this is how in this moment of heaven meeting earth, Stephen has like, he has like these two visions going on simultaneously. I think it's very interesting. One is he sees right in front of him, he sees these angry people, stones in their hand. They're trying to kill him. He sees that. Their, their theology has been shaken. Right? What they have built their lives upon is being undermined. Their comfort has been robbed. 
And that makes, it, well, it makes them angry. It makes them angry. And, and, you know, maybe if we are honest, sometimes we get angry too at that, right? Our comfort gets robbed. The things that we are used to, the things that we are comfortable with get taken from us. And maybe we also harbor some aggression, harbor some anger. We're probably not gonna, we're probably not gonna stone anybody over it, but, but we may harbor some anger and aggression over these things when something that is familiar or comfortable to us is changed. I mean, just as an example, right? I'm not suggesting we do this. You know, somebody comes in and says, you know, we're gonna take all the pews out of the church, right? We're gonna put in some of this modern seating, right? Might be some of us get a little, harbor some anger, Resentment. Probably not going to stone somebody over that, but our comfort gets taken, and we don't we don't like that. But Stephen, he sees these people with this anger, with this aggression. People trying to kill him. He he sees that vision, and at the same time, he has this vision of heaven. And, and there's there there's something. I don't know what, but there's something for Stephen about seeing this vision for heaven that then causes him to pray for and even to want to forgive the people in the first vision, the people that are angry, the people that are stoning him. The vision of heaven, living on heaven's agenda, causes him to pray for and to forgive those people trying to take his life at that very time. That is what a vision of heaven can do. That is what heaven's agenda can do for us. And that to me, you know, if I'm honest, that to me makes me think I've not seen enough of heaven. I've seen plenty of things on this earth that capture my attention, that capture my heart. But I don't think I've seen enough of heaven because I don't pray for the lost like Stephen prayed for the lost. I don't preach to those who don't know God like Stephen preached to those who don't know God. I'm not convinced that I'm full of the Spirit like Stephen was full of the Spirit, right? I mean, I mean, I do a lot of things. I do a lot of religious things. I stay busy. But maybe... I don't see enough of heaven like Stephen. Now, for the majority of us here this morning, I think we would say, we would say, for the majority of us here this morning, I think we would say that we have a ticket to heaven. (laughs) We have it. We know where we are going. We have the assurance of our salvation. That is a wonderful thing. That's a great, that's a great thing. But I wonder at the same time, I wonder if we've gotten distracted, if we've gotten distracted by the things of this world. And if earth has more of our attention than heaven, I wonder. The testimony about Stephen was this, was that his face shone. His face was like an angel. His face was lit up as he encountered the presence 
of God and as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3, in Colossians 3, the apostle, he's, he's writing about dying to ourselves in Christ. He says this. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And that, that was the key to Stephen's life. Before he died, he was already dead to self. He was a good missionary. He was dead to self and alive in Christ. He didn't really have anything to give up. He didn't really have anything to lose. But I wonder, you know, for many of us, maybe we've got too much to lose. We're too alive to the things of this world. Maybe we're not alive enough in Christ. I don't know. I wonder. The apostle goes on, verse 3, says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. As believers, we, we've been born again into God's family. It's his blood that runs through our veins. It's not us anymore. And so friends, if we're continually seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're seeking to live by heaven's agenda, then we will find heaven meeting earth. Not in a temple, not in a church necessarily, not, not necessarily in our Christian gathering, but in everyday tasks where our faith is tested and our obedience attracts heaven's glow. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you. We thank you for the life of Stephen and the, the, the challenge that it presents to us to, to live a life on heaven's agenda. I thank you there's so much, so much beauty that you've put into our lives, um, Lord. So much good that we can do, so many good things that we can be engaged in. But I pray that we wouldn't ever lose heaven's agenda. That we wouldn't lose sight of of who we are and whose we are in Christ. And in kind of that figurative way, Lord, that we would be dead to self and alive, alive in Christ and full of your spirit so that whatever crises we face, whatever difficulties we encounter, Lord, that we'll be prepared as Stephen was to have that vision of heaven. We thank you for his faithfulness and may our faithfulness be growing like his. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.